This is episode 149 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's content and my interview with Nathan St. Andre, I just want to give a shout out to the Nature Photographers Network. If you're looking for a community of photographers who love the same type of photos that you take, and also those that can be very supportive in helping you get better as a photographer, whether that be from free webinars included with your membership to the site, free articles included, critique from some of the best photographers on the planet, then you need to head over to Nature Photographers Network. Right now, all listeners to this podcast can get 10% off when they use the code LPS10 at checkout. That's only $49 a year plus your 10% that you get off by listening to this podcast. Again, you can go to naturephotographers.network and use the code LPS10 to join that community. You'll honestly thank yourself later when you see how great your photos can become. Again, naturephotographers.network, use the code LPS10 for 10% off. In this episode, we're talking with photographer in southern Utah, Nathan St. Andre. And when I first started talking to Nathan about organizing this discussion and talking about photography in southern Utah, I was really inspired because I love that region as well. Spending a couple weeks down there throughout my photography career, about 10 weeks short of what I would like to spend exploring the area, but we do what we can, right? So he goes pretty in-depth into what that region will give you as a photographer, how you can take the best photos down there, and we'll talk about his experience in exploring parts of the parks that are off-limits to the public. All that coming up in part one of my discussion with Nathan St. Andre. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Nathan St. Andre. Nathan is joining us today from his home in southern Utah, a place where he knows well. He photographs all the time and does a beautiful job doing so. Nathan, I just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. And, and if anyone is unfamiliar with who you are as a photographer, as a person, or what led you to where you are now, why don't you fill us in on that journey? Uh, okay. Um so my name is Nathan St. Andre. Uh, I live in St. George, Utah. So I am the very southwestern corner of the state. I can see Arizona from my house. Uh, almost can see Nevada from my home. And I can see Zion National Park from my home. So I'm right on the border of the park and the state. So that's where I am at. As for photography, I have been doing photography actively since like 2017 but uh that was 2016 2017 was my learning years i have a couple photos from that time that i really appreciate um but i don't really feel like i started hitting my stride and stride until like 2018 2019 um and so uh i i actively sell at art shows and so that is where most people know me from. I am not somebody who's YouTube famous. Uh, we'll see if I can slowly change that. I am not podcast famous per se. Uh, I am famous enough where one to two people a year say, hey, are you Nathan? And that's about my existence. So I, I'm in that category of photography famous. Um, but I, I, I do sell at art shows and I've been doing that for about four or five years now. And so um, I travel around the state of Utah, and then this year I'm hoping to travel to Arizona, Nevada, 
uh, for art shows. So I'm going to try to expand my reach. You know, being well known is is not always a plus, right? So <laughs> a, a funny story, I was actually hiking in Death Valley, uh, sleep deprived, of course, and completely ate it on a trail. And the guy in front of me was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And he was like, hey, do you have a podcast? And I was like, no, not me, not not me. Um, so it's not always a benefit. I, I would love like St. George, I've flown into there, probably the smallest airport that I've ever been in in my entire life. I have never been in the St. George airport. I've never had a reason to use it. If I've ever used an airport, I've, I've always driven up to Salt Lake City. So <laughs> I have no idea what the airport's like here. It's uh, two gates, and yeah. I think you have about four to six flights a day. Um, I, it, probably. That might be a little bit more than that. I can see the airport's lights flashing in the distance from my house. So it's I can I know it, it, it exists, <laughs> and it does stuff, brings rich people into the area. <laughs> I'm far from rich, I'll tell you that. Um, okay. l- let me ask you this. Uh, you talked about southern Utah, living there, having access even visually to a lot of these parks that you go to and, and photograph, what are the advantages for you of remaining in Southern Utah and kind of having that as your bread and butter of your photography? Um, first and foremost, it is a little bit like cheating. Uh, so most people fly from across the world to visit Zion national park and I can go there whenever I feel like. So um, that's that right there, hands down, is the best advantage that I can get. Cause I, I just decide one day, you know what? I'm feeling like a Zion day. It's a Zion day and I get to go to the park. But I think, uh, really the, the big advantage of being down here in Southern Utah and spending time down here and living down here. Uh, and honestly, this is a, a, a universal principle for wherever you are. Uh, you get to understand the weather systems from your area. And so like, this is this is like my best bit of advice and knowledge I can impart to anybody who's listening and wants to like understand and, and photograph Zion National Park. Zion National Park, most of the time is sunny. Uh, but when you have a storm system come through, there are things you can look forward to and understand that can really like make uh, your photography experience significantly better. So like, First and foremost, monsoons move from the south. And so they're going to move generally across the park from south to north. And uh, so that's monsoon directions. Then your other big advantage when it comes to monsoons, monsoons build up on top of the mountains here. And then by about four or five o'clock, they fall off the mountains and they drift all over the different kind of directions in the area. And so you kind of start seeing these regular patterns. In the spring and the fall, the storms have a tendency to come out of the the northeast, uh, or sorry, not northeast, northwest and uh, southwest. And so you get these moments where the clouds will come in from the west, hit the park, stall on top of the mountains of Zion, and then clear out to the west. And so then you get these bands of clear skies out over the deserts to the west of us, and Zion is completely covered in clouds. And so I constantly look at uh, the weather conditions, not in Zion, but in St. George and then out towards Las Vegas, the small towns out over there to see how the clouds are looking in those areas. Because if I can see the clouds in Zion, I know they're going to be good there, but I don't know what's going on 50 miles to the west. But if I can see what's going on over there, I know I will have great conditions in Zion. 
And so uh, it's just like this huge benefit is I just get to see the patterns of weather throughout this whole area. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, this type of condition is happening. This will probably happen in Zion. Like right now during the winter, uh, if a storm shows up overnight and it drops temperatures, I guarantee you 95% of the time when you go to Zion, the clouds will invert, drop into the valley, and you'll have fog throughout the valley. And so, you know, you see that if you're here in the winter and you see a storm coming and you know it's happening overnight, make sure you're there in the morning in Zion because there will be low-hanging clouds and fog everywhere. And so, like, that is the thing that I come to have really appreciated being a photographer right here is I really understand how all the weather kind of interacts and works in this area. And so like, Oh, the dangers of it. Like I got caught in the flash flood a little while back, but I kind of had a hunch it was coming. And so when it happened, I was like, Oh, okay. I just got to wait or cross this river here. And it's not that big of a deal. And, you know, I can plunk around and make sure I'm okay. Or at that point I decided to bail from where I was at. Cause I had initial plans to go up a slot cane, but I saw the clouds, heard the thunder. I'm like, okay, this is probably going to lead to a flash flood. Let's just get out of here before I get myself into a bad situation. So like I have a really in-depth knowledge of the area because of that. And so that's something that if you're a photographer anywhere, you can build that knowledge. And if you constantly think about it, you will eventually get to this understanding of how the weather moves in your region. And then you can always make better photos more frequently because of that. When did that, click for you though watching those patterns and and knowing that it correlated with photography because you said you kind of hit your stride with photography 2018 19 was that correlation when it clicked was it about the same time um so it, i don't know if there was a, a, a i don't know if there was a click moment so i used to work a division of wildlife uh here in the region and so during the day, I'd be in the rivers catching fish, and in the afternoons, I'd be photographing. And when you're in the rivers catching fish, you're always paying attention to weather because if you're working in high winds, working in water sucks. If you're working in cold temperatures, working in water sucks. Uh, if you're working in the river and there's a flash flood, working in water sucks. And so every single day, I would be looking at weather for both work and for photography. And because I just did that all the time, um, it just kind of ingrained into my my head and so I there was never like a, a moment solid click but as I just did it more and more and more for for what I was doing on a daily basis um I just like the like the ideas like sank deep into my existence and so I knew what to expect um and then uh the rest of like the more nuanced situations like how how and when clouds inverted or when it was most likely to to get waterfalls in Zion um, that just came with a lot of trial and error, um, seeing how things would work out and then, you know, seeing it happen once and then be like, oh, this is really cool. And then when I saw it begin to happen again, I went back and saw it again. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is what happens. And so that just took a lot of just practice and experience just going over and over and over and over again. Um, and then, yeah, just constantly going back and revisiting. What made you start taking photography like really seriously. Oh, uh, here, this is a, this is a good throwback to college. So I, in college, I started a, a hiking blog called Southern Utah hiking. Uh, I was going to school at Southern Utah university. Uh, I was majoring in biology, minoring in photography, and I just wanted a, uh, project. Uh, and so I started this hiking blog and that forced me to go out all over the place and just hike trails around the region. And, 
as I did that, I kept wanting to have better photos for my hiking blog. And then it just spiraled down the hill from there. And at first it started with wanting better photos. And then it just started, I just wanted to take photos. Uh, and so uh, it, it kind of got out of hand. And then I just suddenly wound up being a photographer. That's cool, man. I, I think a lot of us have that like early project or maybe for, for me, it was just getting out of a, a class. I could, I found a loophole where I could take an extracurricular that was um, film photography and that's what kind of led me into it. But um, it, it's really interesting how our paths lead into photography. And so many people have that kind of path that takes them in that it's, it's interesting that yours you know, still stemmed around the Southern Utah area. So it, it must be really ingrained into you as a person. Did you grow up in the area too? No, I grew up in Northern Utah. Uh, I initially came from Arizona as a kid. Um, but when I was up in Northern Utah, my dad, uh, he had grown up in Arizona and he kind of hated the snow. And mm. so he was looking for uh, a way to get out and get away from Northern Utah and just find something that was warmer and Southern Utah is a desert. And so as a kid, uh, about 11 or 12, we started going out and visiting some of these places in Southern Utah. And that was, uh, kind of the, the initial stemming of my, my, uh, appreciation for the region. Uh, but it wasn't until college that I really like dove deep into the area and really started exploring. And, uh, as I worked for various wildlife agencies, I really got to experience Southern Utah in a way that most people don't get to. Um, there are regions in Zion National Park that are off limit to, to the public, but I've had opportunities and access to go there for uh, for work. Uh, I, while I was working for the, the Bureau of Land Management, I got to wander all across the western side of the state of Utah, down the crappiest roads you can imagine for weeks on end counting birds. And so I've just had the opportunity to bounce around a bunch and see a bunch of things for both work and then for photography kind of came along the way with it. So I'm, I'm big on reviving local locations, especially for people who don't think they live in an interesting area. Mm -hmm. How big was that for you just having the opportunities to bounce around quote unquote living in different sections of the state and really knowing a lot of those areas like the back of your hand uh i think the the like the the big benefits that have come from that is um i have uh an understanding of the region that's that i don't know there's probably other photographers who have it too probably guy tal who's over by tory area he probably has very similar understanding to the region but like if I grab my phone, my phone, all the weather, like my weather apps, I have locations around the whole state that I have pinged as kind of good starting points to understand how clouds move throughout the entire region. And, um, and so, uh, you know, having an in-depth knowledge of all the little towns has allowed me to, to like really track weather around the state. And then when it comes to like local knowledge of little things, uh, Price, Utah, when I lived there for a bit, that's a good example of a place that's really off of everyone's radar. Um, there is a place south of there that is kind of known amongst some of the, the more niche landscape photographers. Um, but there, there are a lot of interesting cliffs all throughout that area that are really fascinating and interesting to photograph. Um, 
And that's a really good example of just like appreciating your local things. Cause I would go out and bounce around out over in that area where I lived there for six months, uh, just experiencing, uh, uh, views of landscape photography. You just never see photographed in the grand scheme. Like you see lots of Zion images, you see lots of arches, lots of heck, even Escalante these days is getting pretty busy. Um, but there's plot, lots of places by price that are just totally and completely overlooked, even though they have, you know, spectacular cliff formations to work with. Hey, just real quick, I want to tell you again about naturephotographers.network and how they can make your photography better and also get you connected to so many other photographers who are just like you. I can remember when I was first starting out, I thought that I was like the only photographer in my region. Just getting in touch with other photographers through Nature Photographers Network, I've been able to discover so many other photographers that can come on the podcast, that I can meet up in other regions, that can give me feedback on my photos, and that can ultimately help me grow my love for nature photography and make my photos better. Right now, you can go to naturephotographers.network and sign up for a year membership for just $49. And if you look at a lot of the costs for what you get out of that site, if you bought other photographers' content for what you're getting on Nature Photographers Network, you would be spending thousands of dollars outside of this site, but you can sign up for just $49 a year. And since you're listening to this podcast, you can use the code LPS10 for 10% off of that $49 and lower that cost even more. Again, that's naturephotographers.network and use the code LPS10. But for now, let's get back to my talk with Nathan St. Andre. Uh, yeah, I think that's huge for anybody listening, just knowing your local locations really well. Like, I see a lot of people, especially from my area, go down south to like cypress swamps and photograph down there. But, you know, I could name off the back of my hand three or four cypress swamps within a 30 minute drive of where I live. Oh, and, right, cool. oh yeah. Just knowing where those are, like you said, how the weather forms over them. Like there's a cypress swamp where, uh, in the summer clouds and storms just start to billow over that lake, um, just because it's a body of water and it fuels the summer storms. So you can get some really cool time lapses, uh, storms rolling through like that. So I think for anybody listening, taking a deep dive into your local places and really discovering all the little state natural areas or things like that is, is hugely beneficial to you. And, and you, I mean, you have that experience too with your biology background and your work background as well. And that, that's a huge advantage to you and your photography now. Yeah. That's my, that's my secret weapon. One of the, the greatest tricks I ever did with that is I got a backpack and hike all the rivers around Southern Utah and I got paid for it. And then I got to bring my camera along and learn along the way. That's not bad. That's not a bad gig to have, especially like when you want to take photography seriously, right? Yeah. Was that a fun, like, what was that trip like for you? Um, <clears throat> so I have, I have had the opportunity to uh, hike the Price River, the San Rafael River, the Virgin River, and the Escalante River for work. Uh, the Escalante river was my favorite. That one, I got to backpack a bunch of the side canyons too. Uh, and so that was a really phenomenal experience because that really introduced me to that area, the, particularly the main canyon. I had seen other parts of it, but, uh, 
when I started that for work, that really introduced me and, and got me exploring that area a lot more. Um, you know, what it was like, uh, one time I got stung in the face by a wasp and had a severe allergic reaction 15 miles down a river, far away from anything. And then the next day we got hit with a flash flood because a huge storm system billowed up 10 miles up Canyon. We heard it. We never actually got rained on at all from it. And then the next three days we got, you know, pouring waterfalls on us every afternoon as the, as the storm systems kind of built through, but we only got hit one day with a huge flash flood. So that was exciting. Um, so that's, that's kind of what it's like working, um, in remote areas all the time. Uh, you, you have to deal with harsh weather conditions, but because of that, um, I really understand, uh, uh, I really understand the rivers and I understand, um, how rainstorms work around here. And I'm not caught off guard very frequently anymore. And I just, oh, okay, these type of conditions are here. It's not safe to go out. And so, you know keep it simple, keep it safe. Like, and so, you know, those experiences were, were phenomenal for both photography and for experience and life lessons and learning. So. Even if you didn't have those experiences in, in work, your background in biology, you you teach biology right now at Utah do, yeah. Tech. Um, would that knowledge and information be beneficial to your photography too? Yeah. 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 Um, Particularly, I, I, just having a background in biology is nice because you recognize the world a little bit more. Uh, I recognize the world a little different. Uh, I don't know if it's a hundred percent transferable. You, this is one thing you, you gain an appreciation for. I did you ever go to school uh, and pick up a degree in anything? Yeah, I have a geography degree. Okay, so perfect. You have a geography degree, and so as a geography degree, uh, you have an opportunity to. You, you probably look at maps, and, and you probably work with ArcGIS, and, and yeah. you've worked with those programs before. Yep. Um, having an understanding of those tools is really interesting, but to actually go out and use like the whatever survey one two three and go around and, and actually collect data out in the field and seeing those things out in the field is completely different surprisingly from just working at a, as a computer you gain a greater appreciation of the landscape being out there and so if i had just done um schooling without the field i would have not had the same connection between um what's going on outside with like what you learn in school and so i don't you would have an appreciation if you just had the schooling but when you take the schooling plus the experience outside, you really build a better appreciation of, of um, how the whole thing's, how everything connects together. It's like the same with, the, with photography. I minored in photography in school. So I took, you know, photo one, photo two. And, but the things I learned in those classes were kind of foundational principles for what I apply with photography today. Almost nothing that I do in Photoshop, except for layers, I learned, I, like I didn't learn in school. I learned layers and I learned how to use the basic functions of Photoshop, but everything that I do now for like editing photos was never taught while I was in school. And so it gave me a foundation, but the actual application and use was really where everything comes to mesh. So I don't know if my photography and my experience would be as good if I didn't have all of this experience romping around, around Southern Utah. I think that's applicable though to anyone really yeah, for sure I, in my opinion and and this is detrimental to me because i teach photography i do the podcast videos and all this so this is to to my detriment here i think we have a real 
epidemic in photography of consuming more information than actually going out and putting it into action. And and going back to your example of biology and schoolwork versus fieldwork, you know, if I think back to my geography work, yeah, I can look at Google Earth and easily pinpoint exactly where, you know, the right plateau peaks are going to be for the right photo locations and all this stuff. But at the same time, you know, I did tons of projects for Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but I had no attachment, appreciation, really understanding for the diversity of the park until I was actually out photographing it all the time. So it's it's the field work. It's actually putting it into action and and you know people listening like yeah finish the, finish this episode please and, and listen to the podcast please but also <laughs> take what you learn here and go out and apply it right after you finish yeah that's that's definitely something um, you can learn a lot from from watching tutorials and going and doing these things but if you go out there and you've never actually had to uh, exposure blend in, or like bracket an image and then have to take it back and then like actually blend those together, if you don't have enough experience doing that, you'll go out there and you'll still have bad photos by the time you're done. Even though you understand what's supposed to happen, like there, there's nothing like experience, like working with cactus. Cactus is a great example of something that's difficult to work with because uh, when you photograph a cactus and you're doing, you know, like a wide angle shot, you're focus stacking, almost always focus stacking. But cactuses are difficult because they're spiny and they have so many small details that overlap with far away background items that you have to understand that even if you focus stack that thing, sometimes you have to focus on odd spots just so you get those far away needles and you don't miss those. And I've made that mistake before. And I have a couple of photos that I, I, I sit and I kind of begrudgingly grumble at because I focus stacked and I was like, oh, I got the flower at the front and then let me get the background. But there's one cactus, whatever pad that has a few needles that are not as sharp as they could be because the focus stack I didn't think that that would create an issue. I understood the principles. I, I got all of it. I knew how to do it, but because I didn't have the experience just doing that on odd and different surfaces, I made mistakes. And so now when I focus stack like a cactus or something, I focus in like three spots across the cactus just in case. So I have that. Um, I don't do that other places, but I do it with cactuses. Uh, no, that that's a great point too. And cactus, um, I'm terrible at coming from Tennessee, going out to the desert. I like have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm interested. You really saying you hit your stride in 1819. Um, I started my photography in 2010, so it was a little bit different. What was it like for you? And, and I think this would be applicable to a lot of people who want to take their photography seriously now, even though we are five years out from that point. Um, what was it like for you starting up in really like just the the heyday for social media, sharing locations and all that? Um. Uh, I did not take advantage uh, of social media per se. There's a lot more photographers who have dramatically more following than I do. Um, I, at the very beginning of it, it was kind of exciting because, you know, you, you would 
share something and it was exciting for the very first time you'd share an image and like a hundred people would see it. And that was really cool. And every once in a while you'd have like 500 people see it and you're like, holy smokes, this is kind of amazing because up until that point, you might throw something out there and you might get one or two comments on other, on other platforms. And so that was really exciting. Um, and then kind of the dark side, what I also began to see when the heyday of social media, um, there's a, a hike down here in Southern Utah called Canaryville Falls. And right at that like peak social media craze where everyone were, you know, there was no limitations on how things would share and bounce around. And there were so many Instagram influencers who really were making an impact on our regions. Uh, Canaryville Falls is this little waterfall in a slot canyon here in southern Utah, just north of us. Uh, became super Instagram famous because it had this log. And once upon a time, it was just a log. And then it was like a log with wooden steps. And then the wooden steps fell off. And then it was a log with metal steps. And, you know, people were hurting themselves. And so it got to the point where a town of 300 was having 30 to 40,000 people a day or a year come through this little tiny town and it was destroying their water structures, their water infrastructure. It was destroying the, like the community. There were just people and trash and everything there. Uh, the search and rescue was getting called the daily to drag people out of the canyon of people falling off the ladder or people slipping and breaking their ankle just on the way to or from. And so I saw kind of at that point, um, the downsides and the dark sides of social media and you know sharing every location and so i very earlier on early on just took a hard step back and i was getting really unhappy with social media because you would feel like you'd do all this work you would share these images and then social media was starting to change their algorithms and all of a sudden you went from you know 200 likes an image to like 20 and you're like oh i guess this is a pay to play now and <laughs> and so like starting at the heyday of social media when it was when it was skyrocketing was exciting and then it was beginning to see the dark side show up really rapidly particularly in my own community seeing areas that i loved uh that i used to go to when on a holiday weekend and it would be me my friend and two other college students from the local town to to seeing how social media caused an area to explode to the point that it's now permitted and uh is never the same and then, unfortunately, Mother Nature decided to, to throw a wrench in it all and sent a flash flood through the canyon and destroyed the ladder. And, and now, the, like, the picturesque scene that everyone was going there for, for social media, is totally gone now. And so uh, anybody who has a, a photo of Canaveral Falls with that nice log that used to be there, um, they just it's, the access is, is, you know, that that image is a forever changed and forever gone. So The reason I ask is because of your work experience, you've had access to these places, especially in Zion that are off access to the public. Mm -hmm. um, and, and being in Zion myself, seeing the impact of large groups of people traveling to that area, um, graffiti and other things that happen on the sides of these cliffs and rocks and beautiful structures. Um, contrast for me, the areas that are available to the public versus are not and what those two look like. Um, okay, so contrasting areas not available to the public. Uh, the the best have you have you ever hiked the subway? Did you ever no, do that I while you were here? Okay. No. Uh, so the main canyon design is uh, that's where ninety five percent of the crowds go in Zion National Park, and the rivers all have kind of little social shells that wander around, and um, 
And then you, of course, you have the noise of the people. And then when you go to the areas outside the park uh, or outside of the main areas, either the off-access off areas or the remote areas of the park that actually have access, but they're not like, there's no publicly shared information about any of it. The park doesn't actually share it. There's a few places you can, there's gates and there's canyons you can go to. Um, but the park has no actual published like, oh, this is a trail. This is a place. This is how you get there. And so there's a few of those that I know of. And so when you look at uh, the canyons that are not affected by people, they look pretty much like most of the Zion wilderness. But, you know, you just have no social trails. Um, there's been some research when it comes to looking at like uh, mountain lion presence absence. And so when you're in places that have high foot traffic the mountain lion tracks essentially disappear and then when you leave those areas you go to these small side canes throughout zion that are you know mostly not visited and you'll far start finding uh far more wildlife tracks uh but when you go to the areas that don't have people it's just harder to move around there are no good ways to move around and so just to get around there you're you know, pushing through willows, fighting through rivers and everything in between. So it's just more difficult. Like <laughs> that's what it looks like. It looks more difficult. Um, but one of the things that you learn when it comes to like working with lands, um, there's concepts that, that are called like sacrificed areas uh, for land management. And so for example, around like water tanks, those are areas that are generally sacrificed to the cows. So the cows have water. And so the cows will go there instead of the rivers and they can protect a river by sacrificing a small area. And so Zion itself, you know, I love photographing the main Canyon, but that area has generally quote unquote been sacrificed for tourist traffic and they've left most of the rest of the park for wilderness. And so you would have less access to it. And so that's, that's how, uh, I think the park has done it so you can have a, a more wild experience as you leave the main canyon and left it mostly to, you know, single track trails that are difficult to get to. And so you can have these experiences where you really are in the wild. And then, you know, if you're photographing out there, you can have some truly unique images because they're just not easy to get to and they make for more stunning experiences. So. Okay, so you just heard a great discussion about Southern Utah with Nathan. I, I think he brings this other viewpoint of the region since he has spent so much time exploring the area for work obligations and just for fun and recreation with himself and with his family. I think this was very valuable if you ever want to visit that region. Now, this was part one of our discussion. If you think about part two, we're gonna get into how he actually went about starting his landscape photography business and how he has grown it through the art show scene. If you're anything like me, and I'm raising my hand right now, I struggled with art shows, but Nathan really gives you a lot to think about if you want to get into that scene. He gave me a lot to think about too, if I ever wanted to jump back into that. That's a very valuable episode if you want to start a landscape photography business, or if you wanna know how people go about selling their photos and you're just curious, that's gonna be a solid listen for you too. So I'll see you in part two of my discussion with Nathan St. Andre, and that's gonna be in episode 150. Thanks so much for listening. See you guys in the next episode.